Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Uh, Is that your testimony today? I hope it is. Today is Palm Sunday, represents the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It would be the last time that he would enter Jerusalem. Uh, It will be the last time until his second coming, which uh, he will again enter Jerusalem. Palm Sunday leads us into what's been called Passion Week. Passion Week leads us to the cross. I want us to focus on the cross in these next few minutes. Speaking of focus, how did you do? Did anybody focus completely for 12 minutes, whatever it was, on the time of worship? Or did you find that your mind kind of drifts off and you start thinking about some things maybe that are going on in your life or some things that need to be done or some family issues? Or It's hard, isn't it? I didn't make it through the 12 minutes. I think that this is, a, uh, this is an area of our lives that we really, really, really need to work on, this area of focus and concentration. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. I want us to focus on the cross. Last week, unexpectedly, I wasn't um, here with you, and um, I wanted to mention that to you real quick. Saturday night before... Uh, Sunday service, um, I went out with my life group, and we went um, and got some chicken wings, and uh, I'm sure that I probably ate more than I was supposed to eat, but that's not why I wasn't here Sunday morning, and it wasn't because I had a fever, it wasn't because my stomach was upset, it wasn't because I had a headache, it wasn't because my Blood sugar was out of whack, and I was feeling a little woozy. I didn't have a cold. I didn't have a flu. But I did spend that weekend, last weekend, in what I think was some pretty intense spiritual warfare. I think, I think it was because the last thing in the world our enemy wants us to talk about is the cross of Jesus Christ. I think the last thing that he wants us to focus on, the last thing that he wants us to dwell on is the cross of Jesus Christ. And I began thinking to myself, who in the world am I? How do you stand in front of somebody and communicate the importance of the cross of Jesus Christ? How do you do that? Then you begin believing lies that that our enemy gives us. And I got here Sunday morning. I, I, I was here. And man, I just, I felt so drained and I felt so weak and I, I, I had no energy and there was a part of me that spiritually felt very defeated and, and I sensed that there's no way I can stand up in front of these people and talk about the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful for Pastor Jim who in a moment's notice... is willing to stand up and, and serve uh, in the way that he does. 
the interesting thing about this spiritual warfare that was taking place in my life is, is that God's provision for that, God's solution for that is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's that when we learn to go to the cross, to focus on the cross and to dwell on the cross, that's where we find Jesus, that's where we find power, that's where we find freedom, that's where we find direction, that's where we find love, that's where we find acceptance. It's at the cross of Jesus Christ. We all make mistakes and bad choices and we all sin. And that's what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. The cross of Jesus is God's greatest Greatest expression of his love for us. This is an area we all need to grow. We need to grow in our understanding and experience of God's love for us. And the closer we get to the cross and the more we focus on the cross, and listen, and the more we dwell on the cross, the more we understand God's love for us. But it's more than that. I think that there probably are many here who... Who, who, who might say, Dale, I hear you constantly, consistently, you talk about this intimate relationship with Jesus, this love relationship, and I desire that, I really do, but that's, that's not in my life. How do I have this love relationship with Jesus? I think there's probably people in this room who, who would say, you know what, I'm tired of this roller coaster ride, this Christian journey that has these highs and lows and highs and lows, and I would like to expect, I would like to experience greater consistency consistency in my spiritual journey. I want to tell you that God's provision for both of those things, his will is both of those things, and his provision is the cross of Jesus Christ. There's a book out by John Piper. It's entitled, When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy. One of the chapters in that book, he addresses this very thing. How do I find consistency in the spiritual journey? How do I have a love relationship that's real and meaningful in my life, a love relationship with God? And his answer in one of these chapters in this book is is simply this, that when you're in a position like that, when you're in a place like that, the best thing you can do for yourself is to preach the gospel to yourself. It's to preach the gospel to yourself. It's to, it's to go to that place in your mind where you remember how God expressed his love to you, how God sent his one and only son from heaven's glory down to earth where he would be ridiculed, where, where he would be rejected. And he came and he lived a sinless life and then he gave himself willingly. He gave himself for you. He died for you. He paid your debt. He took your place. And to remember that and to preach that gospel to yourself. There's something about dwelling on the cross of Jesus Christ that that draws us to him, that helps us to experience his love for us, that grows us in our love for him. We need to constantly be telling ourselves about the extent of God's love for us. I've listened over and over and over to this old, old hymn this past week, and it just brings me to tears. Every time I hear it, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, 
was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. There's great, great power in that truth. Where do you find that truth, and where do you experience that truth? You experience you experience it at the cross. And that's why, folks, what I'm saying to you this morning is that we need to find a way in our own lives that on a daily basis we can focus on the cross. If it's 10 minutes, if it's 15 minutes, just take an opportunity on a daily basis to focus on the cross, to dwell on the cross. But we struggle with focus. It's hard for us to focus for 10 minutes. I think that for some in this room, it's, it's really, really hard to focus because you're kind of that type A personality, right? You're driven. you got things to do. And in your mind, it's hard for you not to have in your mind the next task on the list. You're already starting to think about what you're going to do this afternoon and how you're going to complete projects that are due next week and how you're going to order your days. And, and that's what you're thinking. It's hard. It's hard for you to leave that. And, and, and you need to come to a place where you go, you know what? I'm not going to accomplish anything on my to-do list in the next 20 minutes, so why don't I just set it aside and focus on the cross and go to the cross and be at the cross and experience the cross and all that that means to me in my life. There's some people here in this room and you, you can't focus for for more than just a couple of minutes because you had a tough week and maybe it's been a tough month, maybe it's been a tough year. And it's hard not to take your mind and go back to that place of hurt and that place of loss and that place of pain. It's difficult for you to focus because you're focused more on on the problem. You're not going to solve it in these next 15 or 20 minutes. Why don't you just go to the cross and focus on the cross? There's some of you here this morning, you you, you find it difficult to focus for more than just a couple of minutes because your life is crazy. It's a whirlwind. There's a hundred different things going on, and they're all going on at the same time, and you got your hand in every single one of them. And it's finances, and it's career, and it's family, and oh, by the way, the car needs to be repaired, and the children have to go to the dentist, and all this stuff, all this stuff's going on. It's hard, it's hard to focus, but you're not going to accomplish any of those things in these next 15 or 20 minutes, so why don't you just focus on the cross? I believe that God would have us do that. I believe he wants us to focus on the cross. I believe what God wills, God provides for. That's why I want to take 30 seconds out of our time this morning and just pray. And I want you to pray for yourself. God, help me to focus on the cross. Help me to understand what that means. Help me to build this discipline into my life. I need to go to the cross on a daily basis. I need to go to the cross in these next 15 or 20 minutes. Would you pray? Pray for yourself that God would help you focus. Let's pray together. God, even I, as I stand in front of these people and I speak, 
I pray that you might help me to focus on the cross. That I might have the cross on my mind. That that's where my heart is. That that's where I dwell. And Lord, all that that implies in my life. I pray that I might experience that. I pray for every individual in this room, Lord. We might see you. Help us to see you. We want to see you. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to focus on you and your cross. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take us through some of the events that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus. We'll go through this very, very quickly. But I think that there's some things in there that will help us in our, in our, in our heart, in, in, our, in our desire. The spirit is willing, the Bible says, but the flesh is weak. And I think in our spirit, we want to go to the cross and we want to experience the cross this morning. And one of the ways that we do that is we go to the historical account of what Jesus actually experienced that led up to the cross. I am always, always moved when I read the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane up on the Mount of Olives as he prayed to his father. This was the beginning of what we call the passion and suffering of Jesus. It was just before this that Jesus says, everything's changed now. The, 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 the whole landscape, everything's changed. And, and the Bible says in, in Luke chapter 22, in verse 39, that he came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed. And here's what he prayed. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven that strengthened him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Can you picture that in your mind? Can you picture our Savior in the garden on his knees crying out passionately, fervently, desperately to his Father? And he's praying exactly the kind of prayer that we ought to pray. Father, this is my desire. God wants us to pray that kind of prayer. This is my desire. This is my heart. But more than anything, I want your will more than mine. And the, and the desire in the heart of Jesus was Jesus knew what was facing him. It's not like he was the first person ever crucified. He knew exactly what crucifixion was all about, and so did his disciples. And he knew from, from knowing the prophecies of the Old Testament exactly what he's going to be enduring these next 12 hours. And he turns his face toward heaven, and he cries out to his Father, and he says, Father, please, please, if there's any other way, remove this cup from me. He did not want it. And he asks the Father, to remove it, but he surrenders himself to the Father's will. The Father answers the Son by strengthening him, by sending an angel to strengthen him. 
The Father responds to the prayer by giving strength. When he sees that Jesus has surrendered, he gives Jesus strength through the process, just like he will for us. And when we pray and our prayer is fervent and our prayer is passionate and our prayer is desperate and we say, God, this is not what I want. This is not what I want to go through. Sometimes God's going to say to us, you got to go through it, but I'm going to give you strength through this process. I will be by your side. You you won't have to walk through this alone. Jesus himself is experiencing this. I want you to, to, to consider this this account, this experience from the Father's perspective. I, I read this over and over and over these past couple of weeks, and, and, and I began to remember an experience that I myself had with my own son. And it caused me to, to place myself in this garden at this time from the Father's perspective rather than from Jesus' perspective or the disciples' perspective. I remember one time when, 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 when Will, my son did something that he wasn't supposed to do. And be honest with you, I don't even remember what it was. So it might have been something he was supposed to do that he didn't do, but he was in trouble. And I knew that, this, that, that what he had done required a response. It required some discipline. It, 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 it required a consequence. And so I said, Will, you and I, we need to sit down and talk. And he knows that's not good. And we began to discuss this thing that he had done. And he acknowledged that that was something that he shouldn't have done. And I said, well, you know, there's got to be a consequence to this. I've got to... I've got to address this some way. There's got to be some discipline to this. And I thought about what that might be. And and I think it needs to be a a little tough. And and I said, what I've decided is the soccer season, your soccer season is fixing to start. And I'm not going to let you play soccer. And I can't believe the way his demeanor changed. I mean, this is what he said to me, Dad, Dad, please, not that. Punish me any other way that you want to. I'll do any other thing that you want. I'll never do that again, I promise. But Dad, please, please, please don't do that. And as I studied this scripture, I began to think of that experience and I began to think of God the Father. As he sits and and he listens to his son, his one and only son, say, Dad, please, please. That word father in that text is the same word that's used as father when we're told that we're adopted by him and that we have the opportunity to call him Abba, Father, Daddy, that kind of relationship. It's the same word. So it's Jesus saying, Daddy, Daddy, please, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to do this. Please, if there's any way... Take this cup from me. And God says to him, no. You got to do this. Because I love them so much. See, I read this passage and I begin to get a little bit better understanding of how much God loves me that he would say to his son, who 
desperately begs him, please, no. And he would say to him, you got to. I love Dale too much. I love them too much. It's in that context that I begin to understand the Romans 5.8 scripture where it says that God the Father demonstrated his love for us in that while we were his enemy, Christ died for us. It gave a whole kind of new perspective to me on that verse because now when I read that verse, I see Jesus begging not to and the Father saying, you got to. I love Dale too much. Jesus given us the perfect example of what submission is and the perfect example of trusting the Father and obeying the Father goes through with what God had called him to go through. You know what? Really, we can see this in Jesus' life. Ultimately, really, the Christian life boils down to trust and obey. Not understand and obey, trust and obey. Trust and obey. I told you five or six weeks ago when we were in the book of Joshua, I said this to you, I think this is a bold statement, I stand by it, I believe it with every fiber of being inside of me, that when you're obedient to what God calls you to, there's always, always victory. There's always victory. And Jesus chose to be obedient to what the Father had called him to. And when he took his last breath hanging on that cross, I don't imagine there was anybody at the foot of that cross looking up at him and going, wow, what a winner. What a victor. And yet his death on that cross was the greatest victory this world has ever known. Victory over death. Victory over sin. Victory. We can learn a lot from the passion of Jesus in the garden. And then Jesus gets up after he prays and pleads and begs to his father. And he goes and he finds that his disciples are asleep. And I think that basically what he says to the disciples is, get up and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. Don't you understand how important this is? The scriptures tell us that the disciples were exhausted. They were tired. They, it says they were tired of sorrow. That, that They had taken as much as they could take of Jesus telling them what was about to take place. And they were exhausted. They had a good reason, a good excuse to be asleep. But Jesus comes to them and he says to them, hey, this is really, really important. Don't you understand how important this is? I want you to pray so you'll be strong spiritually. I want you to pray so that you don't enter into temptation. I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if you don't have a healthy prayer life, if you're not praying, that you're going to fail. You're going to fail. God calls us to pray, and then Jesus models that for us. This, 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 there's nothing about Jesus' prayer life that's casual, <laughs> you know? He doesn't just toss the Father a few words, now I lay me down to sleep. But it's passionate, and it's real, and he's connecting with the Father. And folks, I, you know, that's what we're called to do. When we, when we go to the cross, when we, 
when, when we dwell on the cross, when we focus on the cross, it, it drives us to this place of communication with God, this real connection with God, and that's prayer. A lot to be learned from that. Pray like Jesus prayed, fervently. Jesus is then arrested. You know the story. Judas comes. He's got a, a bunch of Roman soldiers with him. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. They grab Jesus. They take him down toward Jerusalem and back up into the city and into the temple area. The disciples are following him. Peter finds his way to a, to, to, to a fire, and he's warming himself at his fire at about the same time that Jesus is being taken to the high priest's house, the Scripture tells us. He's standing around that fire, and three times he is given an opportunity to acknowledge that he knows Jesus, that he has traveled with Jesus, that he believes in Jesus, he believes Jesus is the Son of God. Three times he was given an opportunity to say, yeah, I know him. And all three times he denied even knowing Jesus. Jesus had already told him that that was going to be the case. Jesus said, I'll die for you. Peter said, Jesus, I'll die for you. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows in the morning, before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny me three times. Do you see the, man, I, I can see myself in Peter. You know, good intentions. The spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. He denies Jesus that third time and the rooster crowed and he looks over and he gets in eye contact with Jesus. Eyeball to eyeball, they see each other. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for Peter? I can imagine a little bit because I've been there. I think it's a picture of conviction. It's a picture of, uh, uh, of Jesus going, I, I know and I love you still. And, 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 and the Bible says that when, when, when Peter locked sight with Jesus, that he, he kind of came to himself and he understood what he did and he had to take himself and go outside and he began to cry uncontrollably. It was conviction. Is, is, is that the kind of conviction that we experience in our life? I was talking with Arthur and Ross up in the sound booth uh, this past Wednesday. We got to talking about conviction and how, how most people in the church think of conviction as a bad thing. And, and we came to the conclusion, no, we shouldn't feel that way. Conviction's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's God's provision for us. It's God's direction in our lives. And we should embrace conviction because conviction is something that brings us to a place of repentance. It brings us to a place of saying, I don't want to go that way anymore. I want to turn around and I want to go away from that. And repentance always brings us to a place of a fresh start and we serve a God of fresh starts. That's what the cross is all about. We serve a God of second chances. We, get, we serve a God who says, I'll wipe the slate clean. We serve a God who he will give us a fresh start. Jesus is... Before he is taken into the high priest's house, he's surrounded by a mob and a lot of those people are slapping him and spitting on him and this is our Savior, the Son of God, putting their hand over his eyes and saying, uh, and then slapping him and saying, that, who slapped you? If you're the Son of God, you must, you must know. They're mocking him. I started thinking about that, this account in 
verses 63 and 65, and I thought to myself, you know what, how, how would Jesus feel? He's the one who created those people. He created them. And he was about to die for them. I think about us and how sometimes people lash out at us and sometimes people in a, in a kind of, uh, not a direct way, but you know, they, 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 they slap us and, 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 and man, you mess with me, mess with my family and I, I want to get back at you and I want revenge. That's kind of our heart. That's kind of the way we are. You know, We need to take account of Jesus here, how he responds. His incredible humility. They get Jesus in front of the the council of religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they say to Jesus, they say to him, now the reason that you're here, the reason you've been brought before us is because you've claimed to be the Son of God. Tell us, are you the Son of God? And Jesus' response is very, very interesting. He said to them, if I tell you, you wouldn't believe me. Have you ever thought to yourself, why didn't Jesus just tell them who he was? Well, he answers that. He says to these religious leaders, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. And then he says something very, very interesting in this passage of Scripture. It's verse 66 through 71. He says to them, and if I asked you if I was the Son of God, you wouldn't even answer me. He's kind of calling them out. There's a lot of us like that. I think our country is like that. We don't want to stand up and proclaim. We don't want to stand up and be bold and say Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. We would rather kind of say, well, look, you know, I'm not ready to say that. I'll say say this. Jesus is a good man. He served a lot of people, and He helped folks. But we're not ready to to, to stand up. Jesus says, if I asked you who I was, you wouldn't even answer me. We're kind of like that, aren't we? We we like to think that there's this middle ground. We're not going to call him a liar either, are we? Well, we're not going to say he's a liar. We're not going to say he's the son of God. We're kind of comfortable with this, this middle ground. Folks, there's no middle ground. You're either for him or you're against him. He's either the son of God or he's a liar. I guess the, 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 the rulers, the, the religious rulers got kind of tired of him and they sent him off to Pilate who did the exact same thing. Pilate in his gut, in his heart, he knew that this man was innocent. He had done nothing wrong. He says to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they said, but you, you got you to gotta crucify him because, man, he's been causing trouble from, from Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem. And, and Pilate goes, Galilee? Is he a Galilean? Yeah, well, you need to send him to Herod. Get him out of here. So they took him to Herod, who had jurisdiction. Herod was, was a guy who, who he, he could think about nothing but having a good time. He heard Jesus was coming. He got excited about it. Jesus, man, I've heard about him. He does miracles. I'll get him to do some miracles for me. Yeah, bring him in, bring him in. And he taunts Jesus, do me some miracles, do me some miracles. The Bible says Jesus said nothing. I guess Herod just finally got frustrated with it. Feels like he might have a little fun with Jesus. Mocks him a little bit, puts a purple robe on him. 
and sends him back to Pilate. Here's your king, king of the Jews. Here he is. Pilate wants nothing to do with him. Pilate doesn't know what to do, but Pilate does not know how to stand up to the mob, just like a lot of us. He's going to let public opinion determine how he lives his life. His wife had come to him, Pilate's wife, and, and said to him, Honey, have nothing to do with this man. He has been in my dreams. I'm telling you, there's something supernatural going on here. Pilate puts Jesus in front of the people and he says, I find no fault. They yell out, crucify him. He thinks to himself, I'll just beat him half to death and present him to the people again and they'll feel sorry for him and let him go. And so he beat him half to death. Brought him back and they said, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate finally gives in to the mob and he turns Jesus over. Can you just a little bit think about Jesus' experience during this time? He created the world. He's the Savior. He came because he loved. This was the treatment. And he loves till the end, you know? He turns Jesus over to be crucified. And and, and in chapter 23, in um, verse 26, it says, they led him away. They seized one, Simon of Serene, who was coming in from the country, and they laid the cross on Simon to carry it behind Jesus. The Via Dolorosa, you know, not much more than a path that led up to Golgotha, where they would plant his cross into the ground after they had nailed him to it. And on that Via Dolorosa, there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. You know, in that culture, if you were barren, if you couldn't have children, you were an outcast. And he says there's coming a day when you're going to be glad that you don't have any children. You'll be glad that you're barren. They will begin to say, to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For they do these things when the world is green. What will happen when it is dry? Here's what I think Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, this is a time of peace here in Jerusalem. And this is how they act. There's coming a day. When it's not going to be a time of peace, it's going to be a time of war. And this is nothing compared, what you're seeing is nothing compared. Now I think that that is, the, that is what Jesus was talking about. But here's what I think the application is. Listen. I think Jesus is saying to us and to these ladies who are crying for him. I think he's saying, listen, what I'm going through right now, I'm going through for you. I'm doing this for you. And if you'll you'll receive that, if you'll believe that, if you'll by faith walk in that, then what I am going through, you don't have to go through. 
But if you don't receive that, you've got to go through the same thing. It's another way of saying, if we ask this question, when Jesus, when, when God sent Jesus to the earth, he sent him here to save us. What did he send him here to save us from? And the real answer to that is he sent us here to save us from himself and his wrath being poured out on us. He sent Jesus here so that we would not have to experience the Father's wrath. Jesus understood the Father's wrath. He understood And he says to these people, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves if you won't receive what I am doing on your behalf. Are you to be a recipient of God's wrath? Anyone who doesn't know Jesus, anyone who has not been to the cross, Anyone who has not received him by faith will be the recipient of God's wrath. We talk about the love of God, that God would allow Jesus to do what he did, to go through what he went through, to sacrifice his own life. We talk about Jesus asking no and God saying, you got to because I, I love them too much. So Jesus is the recipient, the Bible calls him the object of God's wrath so that we don't have to experience God's wrath. So there are some here today who need to say, you know what? He is the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one is forgiven except by Him. No one gets to the Father except by Him. There are those who need to say that today. There are those here in this room today who need to say, you know what, I hadn't spent enough time at the cross. I don't really have a love relationship with Jesus, with God. I, I don't really have that. Or my life is sometimes it's spiritual, sometimes it's not, you know. It's up and down and up and down. You don't spend, you're not spending enough time at the cross. You have forgotten. See, the cross demonstrates God's love for us. And the cross compels us to love him more. That's the relationship. Let me invite you to stand. We're going to worship for just a couple of minutes. What will you do with what the Holy Spirit has given you? What is He calling you to? My prayer is that He will give you boldness as well to be obedient to Him. For every time we're obedient to Him, there is victory. So Father God, I believe, I believe that the eternal destiny of people hang in the balance in this moment. 
So for those who are secure in that destiny, I pray that they will pray passionately, desperately, fervently for those who need you. Have your will and way in every heart and life. I ask in your name, amen.